0: Well, Reiner, welcome to Inside Personal Growth. And for all my listeners, uh, they've heard me say this thousands of times. They must have. You know, I've almost done a thousand podcasts uh, wow. in the 15 years. Um, welcome to Inside Personal Growth to all of you who are listening today. From Atlanta, joining us is Reiner lohm Loeb, so I say it right? Lomb. Okay. Mm-hmm. And his new book is called Aspire. And- the subtitle is Seven Essential Emotions for Leading Positive Change No Matter Where You Are. Um, this book is a really a wonderful book. Um, uh, I would say of all the conscious leaders, the way that uh, Reiner has written this, it's for those of you who are I would call conscious leaders. Now, I'm going to let them know a bit about you. Uh, Reiner is the founder of Boomerang Coach, an executive coaching firm specializing in leadership and career development, innovation, and transformational change. Reiner's mission is to mobilize and develop leaders to create a more sustainable and positive future for all. As an executive coach, he works with leaders and change makers in a wide range of organizations, from startup and multinational companies to nonprofits and local communities. All who aspire to create transformational change. Whether he's working with corporate executive entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and genius trailblazers, Reiner's clients appreciate his international business and cult- cross-cultural leadership expertise. You can find out more about Reiner by going to Reiner R-E-I-N-E-R-L-O-M-B Reiner, uh, dot com. That's Reiner lom L-O-M-B dot com. So, we'll put a link to that in the blog as well. Uh, We'll also put a link to um, maybe some other things that Reiner wants us to, but here's the book. You get it on Amazon. Uh, You can see this at Reiner's website as well. Um, He's got it in both the paperback version as well as a Kindle version. So, that's made available to anybody who wants to get that book. Now, Reiner, I think we'll just start the book the, off with the story about being in Cuba. Uh, I thought that was interesting. And hearing the cheering out from your hotel window that the wall had fallen. All of my listeners may or may not know, but they could probably recognize from your lame name that he's German. Um, and you didn't live that far from the wall. And actually, I have a little story. When I was uh, very young, 18 and I'm now 68, Uh, I actually crossed Checkpoint Charlie and I went to the other side and uh, I could see these huge differences between East and West Germany. It almost seemed like very gray on the other side. When you walked over there, it was gray and it was like the people didn't seem very enthusiastic. But can you tell us this great story and the correlation you make between the physical wall falling And between East and West Germany and the divide that has occurred. Now, here's the correlation here in the U.S., um, you know, and while not physical divide, um, that our emotions are what are dividing us and what you believe needs to happen um, for the leaders, not only in our country, but every country. I mean, we can say this about Russia as well. Uh, Ukraine. Look at the great divides that are occurring. But I would agree with you. There is a, obviously we all know huge divide in this country the U.S. around political views um, and it seems to be gotten bigger and bigger.
1: Yeah, thank you, uh, Craig. Thanks. First, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, it's really a pleasure. I've been looking forward uh, to this conversation. Uh, this question that you're asking uh, brings me back uh, to uh, November 9th um, uh nineteen eighty nine i was in cuba i i just had uh i was at the end of a four week uh, trip around the island uh just uh at that time there was not a lot of tourism in Cuba yet it didn't have the infrastructure it was still very uh, uh like uh, an adventure to travel on your own and so uh, just uh taking a couple of days uh, resting um near Havana at the beach uh before going back to uh to Germany. And I didn't, uh Cuba didn't have uh, Western media there. The newspapers were local and very restricted. And then also the TV and everything was just local Cuban TV and radio and so on. So I hadn't really followed the development in Germany um and in Europe for about four weeks. Uh, so that was, uh, that night uh, was just about uh, like trying to sleep. I was just like halfway falling asleep. And then suddenly... Heard uh, loud cheering and loud noise outside, like party noise, like peep, like really uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> so I I I thought, should I get up or not? And I decided I I get up and and I would politely ask the people to be a little bit more quiet so that we could sleep. And as I opened the door, I like all these faces, ecstatic faces, like shouting at me. The wall, the wall came down. The wall, they said actually, the Mauer is gefallen, and. Uh, And, uh, so actually, I, (laughs) I didn't get to talk to them. I, I turned around, I closed the door and said to my wife, they are so drunk. They believe the wall has come down. So I went, went to bed that night, not believing what I had heard, uh, because I grew up, um, only with the wall. I grew up with the iron curtain. Um, I was drafted into the air force, uh, being stationed near the iron curtain to the Czech Republic, uh, where my mother comes from originally. And we had relatives on the other side in East Germany and in the Czech Republic as well. And, and so I just had grown up with this wall and with the iron curtain that uh, took it for granted and say, this is never going to change in my lifetime. I really believe that. So that, that's how big the surprise was. It took me really uh, a little bit more the next couple of days to digest that. And then obviously when I came back to Germany, then I realized how real it was. Uh, but it, it took me a while really to believe it. Now, so I grew up in 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 a divided country. I grew up in on the western side of Germany, very close to the border to East Germany. Uh, we would very often hike along the 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 uh, the fences uh, and 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 the barriers, and there were the watchtowers. People very often, uh when they tried to flee from the east to the west, were killed or hurt or put in jail. We saw that sometimes on, on West German TV, uh, you know, bloody faces or dead people and things like that. So it was a real, it was a real thing we were growing up with. And, and so that's why that that was so unbelievable that this would ever change, understanding the political circumstances, the power of the Soviet Union. It's
0: kind of hard to believe the oppression, you know, the oppression of the people. Uh, And then, you know, obviously the desire, I think they get so brainwashed after a while that they believe that's all there is. Um, But the reality is it was good to see it fall. And I think that same thing holds true when we're talking about the politics that divide a country and its people, because it's a consciousness, right? It's a consciousness that pervades. Here you are in Cuba saying, I never thought this would fall. I thought it would be there The all my life yet you saw a shift in consciousness enough that governments and people came together and saw that that particular belief did not serve germany um and and i'm going to this question for this reason what do you believe is not serving us here in the u.s today yeah as a result of what we're doing because you're a conscious leader
1: yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very good question. I mean, I live now in the United States. I have been living here for nearly uh, 29 years. And, uh, yes, I grew up in a divided, in a country that was physically divided, but now I live in a country that is uh, divided by emotions, uh, a wall of, of emotions. Uh, but these are emotions like resentment, distrust, even hatred, as we uh, see in all these repeated uh, and sad and shocking mass shootings, right? So these are the emotions that, that divide us. And the question that you're asking is how can we raise consciousness to overcome them? Uh, and, uh, so the question is overall, is like, how do you raise the consciousness, the, 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 consciousness of the leaders that ended the cold war, it was a raise in consciousness, right? To enable that we had a change in government in, in, in the Soviet Union with Gorbachev, we had also a change in consciousness in Western leaders, and so a lot of things happened there. So I, I believe leadership plays a big role here. I think the leadership in this country contributed to the divisiveness, has contributed to the divisiveness, and the leadership can also uh, uh, um, overcome, help overcome the divisiveness
0: but, uh, and bring so, us together. So, so true, and that holds true for business as well. You know, in other words, you're, you're working inside of businesses all the time, and when you get a team or a couple of teams where there's conflict or you get um, uh, a, a mixed message, the way the message is sent from a leader down to the rank-and-file people within a company, I mean, you worked for HP for years and very successfully. Um You speak about our aspirational leadership model and that it's essential for creating a vision of a new future and influencing people to change their behaviors uh, to make that vision a reality. In your estimation, how can we help leaders shift their beliefs and perspectives about what is causing the divisiveness um, that is creating the issues that we're now facing?
1: Yeah, the, 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 this is a good question. This is really the core of the question in, in terms of leadership. I believe that if we change leadership, if we live change consciousness, we can overcome the divisiveness that the one a very effective way in overcoming it, and I see that in in the society, in communities. I have been also an activist on climate. I have been an activist in Germany, uh, anti-Nazi uh, activist when I was uh, young, in young, my younger years uh, in my hometown, and I have been uh, in Colorado, a climate activist for many, many years. So I've seen it in communities, but also in corporations, how to overcome divisiveness. And one approach that I find very effective, if we go high enough in terms of, uh, in terms of human needs, if you go to our highest aspirations, we can find common ground. So give you an example, like if we create the awareness and consciousness that we have only one planet and that we all need that planet to be healthy in a way, in a certain way so that future generations can still exist, which means our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so on. Now, if you have a conversation between two leaders and you get them to this conversation, you will have an effect because everybody cares about that unless there's some other mental health issue, right? Or some other evil intent. But if there's somebody, regular person, the majority, vast majority of people will listen to that if it happens in the right context and the right uh, you know, respect in a respectful conversation. Let's talk about these higher aspirations. And I see that when I facilitate innovation uh, workshops or vision workshops in companies, if there's a divisive leadership team, if I go, high, if I bring them high enough in terms of their aspirations, the impact they want to have on the world with their company, there's common ground. They can find common ground.
0: And very important what you're saying, and and I, I think this you you said you were an environmental movement and activist in Colorado, and you know I I think what we're seeing, um, and it's just my perspective, is you know if you the the Native American Indians who first founded this country, um, you know they believe in Mother Earth. They believe that Earth now is the way that we've taken from it, and many of us do. Um, she has had enough. Um the, this climate change which is affecting uh, global warming which is affecting the fires which is we're seeing flooding. Um we're seeing all these elements associated with the fallout of how we actually have treated this earth overall. And I think as leaders, you know when the summit came together in Paris and then Trump said no and then Biden came back in again and you know we're talking about one issue here but it's important to get the uh, collective consciousness of a group of people together to actually make this monumental transition. Now, social biologists um, who I recently had here, one called on the verge. um, She basically said to me, you know, we collect all this data. We can predict when it's going to rain, where it's going to rain, how much it's going to rain. We have all this data that we pull together. We can predict uh, the heat waves. We can predict a lot of this thing pretty accurately. The challenge is as a species, as we've watched over thousands of years, we wait until it's almost catastrophic to take action. You know, I'm going to go down to the action part. How is it that we have to wait so long? And this brings me to your seven essential leadership behaviors and emotions, because the first one you discuss is empathy. And I believe that empathy and compassion are the only thing, two things that will save our world. Okay, collectively, um, you call it the gate to caring, and you mention in a culture where empathy is shown, there is a genuine interest in caring for the well-being of others. Key point: How do you help organizations and the people in those organizations to become more empathetic and caring? Not only all, uh, for all the stakeholders, we're talking about all mm-hmm. the stakeholders. Mm-hmm. You know, and a, and a good example of this, and I'll just, and then I want you to answer this question is I happen to do coaching with people as well. And I'm in the boardroom, and the CEO comes in, and I've never seen him, you know, he's in his 60s, and he was crying. And he was crying because an employee who he trusted he found out was not doing the right things by the customers, meaning Mm -hmm. he was raising the prices and trying to jack up his sales and do whatever. And he said, I didn't hire people or trust in people to do this. And I'd never seen a CEO get so upset over an action that someone in his company had taken that had upset him enough. That, you know, he, at the moment, he was actually ready to fire this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but but my point is, that's the kind of thing we're talking about here, right? Mm-hmm. That is it. Yeah. And so how do you help organizations become this empathetic, understanding of the clients, understanding of the vendors, understanding of the organization, understanding the fellow employees, What is would be the great elixir?
1: Yeah, no. This is a, this is a, at the core of uh, our relationships, no? Huh? That our, the fabric of our life, no matter where we are—in families, and in communities, in, in in companies, in whole society—and uh, so I grew up a li- little bit, and this relates to what I say. I suggest as a as an approach and as a solution. I grew up in a on a farm, in a small village, in a family business, and so everybody was treated like family and friends, kind of. It doesn't matter if clients or employees or anybody that was helping and so on, that's, that's what I grew up with. That's what I took to the corporate world. So that kind of attitude that everybody is a human being who deserves respect, who deserves help, empathy, care, compassion. And uh, one of the things that I've observed, I managed large global teams uh, from, for many, many years at, at HP and the HP software business. And I very often I ran into these conflicts between people that didn't know each other. They worked in different countries. They were part of my team, but they hadn't gotten to know each other yet as a human being is to bring them together from time to time in a location and and design experiences where they can get to know each other, not just as work colleagues, not as in their role as a sales manager or as a marketing manager or whatever, but in, in their as a human being. So if they, if they pro- probably in that time, like, so sometimes we would cook together. Okay. So it was an experience to great together, people cooking side by side the whole day and then eating a meal at the end of the day. During that time, the conversations that occurred, getting to know each other, they found out, Oh, I have similar issues. I have children. I worry about them growing up. You know, I have parents, aging parents that need care. You know, I, I'm worried about, you know, uh, uh, what in our city is going on and things things like that. So people get to know each other as human beings. When we left these events, a lot of the conflicts that they had before, they came to me with and say why they couldn't work with this person, was hard to work with this person, went away once they were able to empathize and care for each other as human beings.
0: It's so true. And I think, you know, this next one, which is the second essential leadership behavior it's compassion, you know, and the Dalai Lama talks about compassion, you know, and also this, this latest book by Stephen Kotler, it talks about, you know, all the problems that we're having globally, right? But that one of the only thing that's going to fix it is compassion for one another. Um And I, I looked at that, I didn't question it, but I said, you know, really, there's something very connecting to have that kind of compassion. So, The commitment to serving, you state that compassion is the emotion that drives one to commit to serving the needs of another person. And I would actually even say to serve the needs of issues that we've created that globally are going to create problems. So this person or the people. So What are the characteristics inherent in a leader that is compassionate and wants to serve? I mean, we 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 talk about the models, the inverse model of mm-hmm. leadership, right? So mm-hmm. a leader is here to serve the people. It used to be in the olden days, people thought, well, no, the people were there to serve the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that model has been around for a long time. And there's many schools out there that teach that, the servant leadership model. Speak with us about this compassion and the servant leadership model.
1: Well the, the the question why am i leading why do i want to be a leader why why do i step forward and say i want to lead in in a specific situation in an organization or in society the why is very important do i do it for me to advance to have more power to have more money you know the more egoistic reason or do i do it for the greater good right whatever the greater good means so that's that's a very important uh, the the motivation Is very important. I would say as a characteristic, empathy and caring, that's a foundation. So that's embedded, that's part of compassion. So without empathy and comparing, there can be no compassion. Now, what compassion and and talking compassion as an emotion, not as a virtue, as as an emotion, because religions teach it as a virtue for thousands of years. But we hadn't, haven't gotten much better <laughs> at it yet. No, that's why I'm working at the emotional level. If you feel it, if you feel empathy and if you on top of that feel compelled to act on your caring, then if you feel that you cannot behave differently, give you an example, like, and, and I like to take it to, to, to a, si- a simple example that is not so complex, but let's say your best friend's mother dies and, uh, uh so empathy, would you like emotional empathy? Would you f- make you feel sad? Her sadness, right? You, her sadness would resonate with you, and and so on. But you might th- that makes you care. But you might not do anything about it yet, and that wouldn't help your friend, right? But compassion would actually make you call her or say, "How can I help?" You it might you might drive over there and 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 ring the door and and take her in your arms and comfort her you might stay overnight to be just there to make sure she is safe you might cook her a meal maybe for multiple days even so that's really where you move from caring to compassion and so that's the important characteristic is first of all that that, that it is outward you do you lead with the goal to have others in mind the well-being of others in mind they can include yourself. You, it doesn't mean you have to sacrifice yourself and not do well and only the others. So it includes yourself, but also you want others to be doing well and you actually act on it.
0: Well, it, it is important. The um, the action of acting, <laughs> if I can say that, upon your caring is actually the compassion. In other words, doing something about it. And Your third essential leadership behavior, emotion is interest. You say the drive to understand. Okay, we've all heard this. Um, Seek to be understood, right? Um, And so that in Bucky Fuller used to say this, I don't want to leave people misunderstanding me. I want people to understand. And you state trying to understand before the act is important advice for anyone but critical for leaders. You tell a story about a woman uh, from one of your seminars that approached you and created a judgment without ever even knowing you. Um, I I think this story is kind of a very telltale sign of what people do that creates divisiveness. Okay. Can you tell the story and the importance of understanding first before we're judgmental? Because, you know, we're out, a lot of us are just all automatically making a judgment because something happened, we don't like it, we're going to do it.
1: Yeah, and it happens that like subconsciously, right? And in this case was, uh, I was at a, um, a, a seminar, a multiple day seminar. And uh, this lady, she was also a participant, I was a participant. And um, she came to me uh, on the second day and she said, can I talk to you? Can we have a private conversation just the two of us like uh where we we're by ourselves and then as she as we approached that place and 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 found a place to talk, she tears starting to run down uh her her face, her eyes and uh and I said, what's going on?" And she said, well um i uh when I first heard you speak, when I first heard your accent, I hated you. I instantly hated you." And I want to apologize for that because by now I got to know who you are a little bit better and, and, and I feel bad about that. I hated you. And so I said, what, what is it about? And she said, well, I'm Jewish from a Jewish family and half of my family, uh, was, uh, died in in the Holocaust and the other half, um, were refugees. Uh, this, they, this, they escaped to, to Israel, but later became Israel. And, uh, so, but they still they all suffered and it is still carried on. And that, that suffering, that multi-generational suffering, I still carry that with that with me and, and, and so on. And she explained, I'm not using the exact same word she's using, but in summarizing it. And, uh, and I, I was so grateful that she told me this story because I had no idea. I had no idea what effect I had. Uh, And the interesting thing is that during that seminar that went then over a year period repeatedly, there were three other women that were also Jewish that came out to me and and talked to me and said, me too, Mm. me too, in terms of Mm. I'm Jewish too. and, And everybody had a different story and a different. So, but that can happen to anybody who carries something from the past with them. But as it comes to, to understanding and interest, the, 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 the important thing was this uh, woman in the book, I think I call her Nancy. It's not the real name. Uh, she made an effort to get to know me and that changed her perspective about me. So that's the important thing that quite the point. That's the point, right? The point of that is cultivating interest. If we have reaction and I, I uh, coach also and train you know, in uh, cross-cultural uh, learning, cross-cultural competencies, and postponing judgment and assuming good intent are two uh, two behaviors that I coach people on that give you a little bit time to get to know somebody. You can yeah. take and you can listen, you can ask questions, uh, well, and that it, makes all the difference.
0: It it shows that because of a past experience, uh, how quick people are to create a judgment about someone, in this case, it was you, um, that was a negative judgment as a result of your sound of your voice. You were just talking, you know, I have a German accent, I'm German, you know, so they knew that, and they connected the two without ever getting to know you, but again, as you said, they reached out in compassion, now better understanding you, and resolved the issue. And that's what we're talking about here. Now, in your state in the fourth essential behavior, that a vision aligned with our higher aspiration provides purpose and direction, which generates deep and sustained commitment to act toward the vision. And you call it, well, it's the optimism, the lens of visioning. You have a little uh, chart in the book, actually. Mm. Speak with us about the vision to build a software company within HP and how you were met with negativity from, in this case, you call the guy Carl, uh, one yeah. of the HP employees, and what were the lessons learned and how successful was this vision for HP? Because you helped to build a huge software division for them.
1: Yeah. So th- that is a, a very telling uh, example, a telling story uh, that repeats itself again and again. And, and uh If we don't have optimism, if we have this, there's, there's emotions that hold us in the back, that all our mental energy is focused on the, on the past, or we can free ourselves and shift out of these emotions that open the door then to emotions of the future, hope, optimism, enthusiasm, ambition, things like that, that allows us to look in the future and pursue a better future. So. Now, at that time, I did not consciously know that. I did, I, I, I studied that later and, and when I went into coaching and how do I teach somebody to become optimistic because that's the foundation for seeing a vision a better, of a better future and pursuing it. Now, in this situation, I was just uh, highly, newly hired to HP. Uh, I... Um, I consciously uh, joined HP in order to uh, to work in software because I I had worked in hardware in computer science and, and for a long time and said this was the future and I wanted to be part of that future and help to shape that future. So I was assigned to a task force HP was a hardware company didn't have software businesses and uh, uh, there was to a small task force to help develop a strategy and a business plan for starting a software business and that was out of Germany. And so we were locked away in a room, you know, and once in a while we, we came out and had a coffee, you know, this was an open space office. And as I uh, just got the coffee from the coffee machine, uh, somebody uh, introduced himself and it was a very open and friendly, you know, environment and so on. And, and he introduced himself and he asked me who I was and what I was doing. And so we did all that. And, and, and then I said, well, I'm building a billion dollar, like helping to build a billion dollar software company. And I need to tell you. The reason for the billion was at that time, there was no billion dollar software company anywhere in the world, Microsoft not or Oracle and all these, you know, SAP, all these big companies, Uh they were far from that. That's why it was such. And it was for me a representation of something big, something unbelievable that like, you know, a dream and there was all kinds of good things associated with it. But I plotted it out out of my unconscious mind. And he looked at me, um, like a deer in the headlight and shook his head. And he said, Carl said, uh, th- th- that's the name I gave him, uh, in the book. I said, young man, you're in the wrong place here. We don't do software here. And, uh, the point is that with that mindset, you cannot look into the future and create anything different, right? You can right. only work from what you have. Now, how I instinctively knew that, that I had to be optimistic. I had no clue at that moment how somebody can build a billion-dollar software business because nobody in the world had ever done it, right? And also, I was also aware this is not something I'm building alone. I'm part of a team and this becomes, you know, a larger and larger organization. The point is 24 years later when I left HP, when I uh, moved on to start my own company, executive coaching firm. Uh, HP software business had grown to $4 billion and it was one of the five largest software companies in the world, uh, along with Microsoft and those big companies uh, and so on. So it was possible, but I did not know at that time, how, how is this going to happen? We had to figure that out, but the optimism that allows you to think big, to train big and to see a vision, to create a vision is, is the foundation for creating positive change.
0: Well, they used to say, you know, that um, of of all the people, Steve Jobs was um, radically curious, radically curious. Um, And so what's the difference between being curious and radically curious? It was almost like it was embedded in every fabric. And as you said, you know, when you want to find a solution to something, building a billion dollar organization, having optimism, having a vision. You have to hold that in your mind's eye. You don't know how you're going to get there. Steve Jobs didn't know how he was going to get there. He didn't know that at the time, Apple would be the company that it is today or whatever. But you holding that and then saying that to somebody and then somebody's telling you this is not the place to do it is really the point, right? It's like, can't we have this optimism for a vision of the future, no matter how long it takes. It's the same thing with climate change. Can we have the optimism for clean water, clean air, uh, great places for people to live, an environment which is thriving, and a reduction in all the devastation from the things that are occurring because of CO2 emissions? And I say we can, and it's not too late. And I think we still need to work on that. And with that, You mentioned that mobilizing is the fifth of the seventh essential behavior leadership competencies, and it builds on previous four behaviors. You state that the inspiration is the energy for mobilizing and that a leader plays an essential role in energizing his or her people. What are the three characteristics of inspiration and how can leaders inspire their people? Because if there's one thing that Leaders are always looking to do. is how do I inspire these people toward this great vision, and to keep holding that vision, and to be engaged in it, no matter how many obstacles they hit along the way.
1: Yeah, uh, th- this is a this is a very important question, and I have to say again back to the vision itself on, and, and optimism. There is no alternative to not being optimistic. We have to believe that we can overcome those big challenges that threaten our future. There's no alternative to it other than having not a future. Right. right? So that's important to say. So, so can we, can we choose not to be optimistic? No, we cannot. We have to, we need to shift to optimism because that opens possibilities. Now back to inspiration itself inspiration there so this has three characteristics that comes out of emotional psychology basically one is evoke inspiration you invoke inspiration and the way you do it is by uh, linking what, what to speaking to people's highest aspirations okay so we talk about higher needs that are bigger than themselves that go beyond their ego right something that they they cannot not do. Like, the work that I'm doing, I cannot not do. I have to do. There's no right. choice.
0: Right, right. Okay. I know right. that one. Yeah. Right?
1: So, this is so, like, for the East Germans, when they uh, created a peaceful revolution, it was freedom and democracy. They could not not do that. They could maybe postpone it. Yes. But they, they had to have that. Okay? That spoke to their highest desperation. Now, this the second one is really... uh in terms of inspiration that creates where you create an awareness, you inspire an awareness of new possibilities. So those speaking back to like say climate change, right? Let's say maybe people don't see, they said, yes, we want to have to stabilize the climate so that the earth is livable. And I don't know how, but inspiring New, the awareness of new possibilities. And That's also the role of the leaders. That's the role of those that understand, that have created the understanding. And it's a creative process, right? Yes. So the creative people that in any field of creativity and in painting and in, in, in writing and in mo- making movies, whatever, or, or, or inventing new things, they have to have that. They're creating, they have the awareness of sudden awareness of new possibilities. That's the second. Uh, type of inspirational characteristics. And the third one that's more focused on how do you uh, 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 pursue, how do you uh, put something in reality, which is called approach motivation. So you inspire somebody to make something happen that you believe in, that your vision becomes a reality. And that's so these are the three characteristics.
0: Well, again, you know, you have these seven essential. Now, for all of our listeners, we're not going to get to all seven in the time frame. I'll just tell them that up front. But what they can do is they can go out and get a copy of the book, Aspire, uh, from Reiner Lohm. But we're going to sum up this interview with this, writer. You know, the book is filled with great stories. At the end, it's takeaways and contemplation, you know. And um. The summaries of each chapter and then the pauses, the way you give people opportunity to pause to think about a question. I love how you did that. And for all the listeners, the, the summaries and the pauses are really, really important to get at the back of each chapter here. Now, if there were three takeaways from Aspire that you would want to leave the listeners with, um, what would they be and why? In other words, three main points from your book.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I, I think any of your listeners uh, can create and lead positive change. Anyone, no matter where you are. Okay. So that's one, that's one lesson. The second is in order to create a positive change, you need to influence or change behavior, starting with your own behavior. Okay. So very you, important. Changing your own behavior, adjusting your own behavior, you can influence the behavior of others and you can increase the circle of influence continuously. Okay, so so you can scale your impact that way. But you can always change one person. You can start always with one person. That's the second one. So changing behavior uh, in order to create positive change, starting with your own one. And the third one is really changing behavior requires a shift in emotions. and shift. And and shifting emotions requires an awareness of the emotional state that you are in. Is that helpful for what I tried the behavior I want to show right now in that specific leadership situation or not? And if not, what is the emotion I need to shift to? And that is learnable. You can learn to create that awareness. Is this emotion useful or not? Which one is useful? Like the ones you just... Like, for example... You lead a team, saying, "Do I need to? The the team is not motivated; they are not performing well. Do I need to inspire them more? Right? Maybe I am doing something that is not inspiring." So, the third one is really that in order to create a shift, like a change in behavior, you need you 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 need to shift your emotions. You need to learn to shift your emotions, and that is learnable. And uh, aspire. The book Aspire shows you how.
0: It does, and I would say one of the things that. We get caught up in, and I'll leave the listeners with this. Um, You know, we are emotional beings. He's talking about emotions here, the emotion of caring and compassion and, you know, inspiring, all of these. But with inside ourselves, when something triggers, frequently the emotion will take hold and we'll say something we wish we hadn't said. To someone or something. And I've always found, and I've heard this from many authors before, that if you pause and take a breath prior to your response, that your response is going to be a lot better received than it would be if you literally just got emotional about it. Because it's that emotion of anger so if you think about it, you got angry right now, but you instead paused, took a breath, thought about it, and then thought through your response, you wouldn't have the high levels of conflict. That's a, that's a, that's a definite one for certain. So um, don't get caught up in your emotions. Um, he, what Reinhardt is teaching here is a way for people to shift those emotions. Uh, and turn it into uh, compassionate. Um, It always reminds me of, if you've ever watched the training videos from um, Herb Kelleher at Southwest Airlines, he always used to talk about love. Now, love isn't said very much inside business. But if we would all, I know, I know this is going to sound cliche, but if we would Mm -hmm. all learn to love one another, which is these words that you're using, compassion and caring, are very close to the word love, Um, we would find that we would resolve many of our problems. And Reiner, it's been a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth, spending some time with my listeners about your great book. I'm going to pull it across again and just give you another opportunity to make sure that you all go out and get this book. We'll put a link to it, and we'll put a link to Reiner's website as well. Thank you so much for being on Inside Personal Growth.
1: Thank you. The pleasure is all on my side, Greg. It was really uh, fun to talk to you and very enlightening. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. You take care. Namaste to you. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support.